I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway, join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, po- hey, hey, do you... Have you guys ever... Do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima... Oh. Zima... Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. The following... The following... The following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second season of the Voice of Survival podcast. I'm your host, Nate, as always, as the introduction said. And today joining me is a very special guest, a new member of the Journey into Comics Network. Welcome to the show from Crucial Tunes and the band Get By, Larry Rizinko. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. We've been um, talking about doing this podcast for a while. True, true. Now, it's interesting because we kind of like met... Became internet friends, didn't see each other for a long time. Real long time, yeah. Reconvened through karaoke. Yeah, that's true. That is how it happened. And then it's kind of like, here we are, right? So (laughs) if we go back to the actual beginning, it was like your guys' maybe second show. It was our first show Mm -hmm. opening for the Ataris. Yes. That's a pretty cool thing to say we both share that we've played for the Ataris. That cat is going fucking crazy. (laughs) I'm going to watch this to see if I can get her. He just threw a hoodie. Boom. That was awesome. <laughs> it landed on the fucking thing. I couldn't have done that again if I tried. Uh, so anyways, we both opened for the Ataris, and that was a magical night. And it was. I, and I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like our set and your guys' set, was the, they were like the best sets of the show. They had the yes. most crowd. Yes. And then other than that, like even the Ataris didn't really have that many people watching them. No, they didn't. And... <laughs> That's neither here nor there. We need to go way, way back in the story because, like, I got to know where music comes from for you, oh, what sure. it means to you, the the whole beginnings of you as a person. So let's kick it to the first question I have, which is, where are you from, first of all? Let's get there. Uh, I grew up in Northwest Indiana. Sweet. So you are essentially what they call region rat for life. Yes. I was born in here in Hammond, actually. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well... Either I was born in Hammond or I was born in Munster. My sister was born in the other one. So I know one of us was born in Hammond and one was born in Munster. You guys are really close sure. apart in, or really close in age, right? Like I'm in, September 87. She's December 85. So, yeah, yeah. so about a year and a half, two years, roughly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's not bad. So you have one sibling, right? No other siblings? Uh, not technically. My dad has a couple of Step kids. Step-siblings? But uh, I, 
not a thing to me. Okay, fair enough. So we're going to go down that there too, however you want to go. So um, you growing up with a sister, I grew up with a sister, that can be hard. Yeah, we were horrible. To each other. To each other until we were like, she moved out and went to college. And then we're like, oh, hey, we're friends, and this is great. And now she's the best. I love her to death. Best friends, right? That It's it's weird how siblingship works, because I oh, think yeah. when you're growing up together, it's almost a competition of who didn't do it. Like, I'm oh, not sure. the one in trouble. It's you. You're the one that's in trouble. That's 100% true. So, spawning out of that, I don't know, does your sister play music at all? She's really into it, okay. but she doesn't play anything. Okay. Ah, does she? she played saxophone, like, in sixth grade or seventh grade, uh, okay. but that's about the extent of it. Okay, well... So that's interesting to note. So she's just a little bit older than you. Does her decision to be into music like she is inspire you as a younger kid? She got me into some music when I was really little. I don't know how she got a hold of it when she was like seven, but or maybe eight. I was six. She got a copy of Dookie on cassette when I was six. Ooh, and Green I took Day. it and I'm like, oh, and it changed my life. Really? So that's the first album that sets you on the course for pop punk, essentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, for those of you who didn't listen last season, Chris, your bandmate, Chris yes. Plant, and also Crucial Tunes co-host, um, you guys are in the pop-punk band Get By. Yes. And uh, I also want to mention that at some point, maybe at the end of the show, if you want, we can play one of the new songs at the end. Cool. We'll put it at the, that way people can hear you guys, because sure. it's awesome. But uh, So pop-punk really gets you right out the gate. I mean, you didn't really have a chance. No. It just kind of happened. And that was the first thing that takes hold. So Dookie at six years old, what's the next? I mean, six is pretty young to be listening. I probably to- shouldn't have been listening to that record when I was six. Because, I mean, there's it talks about like doing heavy drugs and jerking off and tons of other crazy shit that a six-year-old probably doesn't understand. But something about it. The music got you. It didn't matter what the words were because you could really weren't understanding. True. Well, when they said like fuck in a song, I was like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They cursed. I'm awesome. Yeah. So, was there, I guess, did Green Day become like an obsession as a younger kid then? You get Dookie, um, I know that's pretty early in their discography, so there wasn't sure. a ton to grab from. I feel There like- was two records prior mm-hmm. that I got from the library around the same time. That's loved, awesome. Loved both of those two. Okay. So, those, so those are the three. What, at what point do you start to make the conscious decision that you like how music feels when you do it? And I don't mean when you just listen to it, but like you started to probably sing along to these songs oh, sure. or try to drum out the melodies or air guitar all or the time. Um, I remember being eight and like playing Insomniac, their next album, in my room with like a cardboard tube and pretending it was a guitar every day. That's awesome. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. This fucking rules. Okay, so then where does the decision to was guitar your first instrument or yep. is that is that so that's like direct path? Yep. Green Day, Green Day, Green Day, Green Day guitar player. There was like other bands in between. When I was like ten, I got really into like epitaph stuff like Bad Religion and Rancid and okay. stuff like that, bouncing souls and shit. So again, staying very true to punk. You are like, at heart simple melodic punk rock is my thing. Bread and butter, absolutely. Uh so you're, you know, you're 10 and you're listening to these other songs. You're starting to get into Bad Religion and that's a whole discography of like, oh, holy sure. fuck, you know. I mean, yeah. One of the, honestly, one of the best shows I've ever seen live was Bad Religion. Oh, yeah. I saw them at Riot Fest in uh, 2016. Mm. Whoa! Um, Incredible. <clears throat> but uh, when did you, how did you, I guess, 
when's the the conscious effort to like say, hey, mom, dad, guys, hey, I want to play guitar. Like, let's um, make this happen. For my twelfth, oh, it was Christmas, not a birthday. Uh, Christmas, maybe when I was twelve or so. Um, my dad bought me a BMX bike, and uh, fuck that guy. So I sold it to my neighbor and bought a guitar. Awesome. Okay, so you said, I don't need this bike. I need something that's going to suit me for what I really want and and drive me to. So that's really cool because you essentially made the conscious effort to make your passion the first thought in your mind. A lot of kids at 12 get given a BMX bike. Are like, oh, fuck. And like cycling is a huge, huge passion of mine. But at the time, I just wanted the guitar and wanted to play Blink songs. And so I made it happen. Excellent. So, what was the guitar? I gotta, I gotta know. It was the, like the Squire Strat Pack with the little amp. Everyone's first guitar. Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. Got what, it. What, baby blue, dark blue, dark blue. Dark, nice. I wanted baby blue because that's what Tom DeLonge played, but yeah. they didn't make it. So I'm like, well, this is still blue. I'll get that. Good enough. Good enough. It's funny. I started on Blink as well as a bass player. It was the sure. first, uh, first full album I learned cover to cover was "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket." It was like totally inspirational to me. So that's Blink's best album, in my opinion. By the way. I agree. I do. Not agree. a lot of people think that. I do. And I definitely do. It's also in in a lot of ways totally underrated too and it gets really and gets overshadowed. But um so you get the guitar, how long before you start thinking bigger picture because a lot of kids I I was one of those 14-year-old kids that got a bass. I was just obsessed with playing along to the music and that mm-hmm. did it for me. There was a rush of knowing, "Hey, you can play this song." I remember sitting in my room when I was 12 or 13, playing along to Famous Monsters, I learned it front to back. And I'm like, I want my friends to do this with me. So one of my really good friends at the time, for Christmas, his parents got him the Squire P-Bass Pack. Awesome. And we started learning MXPX and Atari songs in my basement, and uh, it all grew from there. Wow, that's actually interesting. The Ataris is one of the bands you just listed. Oh, I got really into Ataris on. when I was like eleven. So, so when I was playing with them, I was like, "Oh, what?" And it's only one guy really now who is actually the lead the singer, right? St- yeah, yeah. So like, well, it's still it's still cool. It's yeah. the Ataris, kind of. Uh, I mean, who for they did that? What was that the Boys of Summer cover? Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's an amazing cover. It better than the original. It is, and I like um, like some like my older relatives, like my grandpa and shit, heard, like heard that cover and they're like, "This is." Better than the actual song. It, like, I feel like the original was Don Henley, maybe? Yes. Yeah, so... That's a good song, but... Yeah, and then, like, the lead singer of Atari's, wasn't he also in a movie? He was the kid in Blank Check. The guitar player was the kid oh, in Blank Check. That story player. rules, because me and Chris were at the Big Shot show, and, like, we're at the bar, and he goes, dude, look. And I'm like, what? That's a guy with glasses and a neck tattoo. I don't give a shit who that is. He's like, he's in the Atari's. And I'm like, cool. So are a couple other guys here. He goes, no, but look who it is. Elaborate what the fuck you mean. Just tell me, man. Goes, oh, that's the kid from Blank Check. And I'm like, no, it's not. So I look it up and I'm like, so I go up to him, like, hey, man. He's like, yeah, it's me. And I'm like, all right. And he wasn't into talking about it. Really? And I dedicated one of our songs to Mr. McIntosh during the set, and I don't think he thought it was funny. I asked him uh, if Henry drove their tour van, and he didn't think that was funny either. Weird. Maybe it's like some sort of like as a child actor. Maybe there's some like dark uh, history well, behind. Child him. actors kind of turn out to be real fucked up. So and yeah. I know he like went to jail and was real into heavy drugs and shit. So I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to steer clear of it all. 
to go back to that Atari's night, I do feel like those guys definitely felt like they were like a cut above everyone else. Yeah, and I'm like, your heyday was a long time ago, guys. Get over it. <laughs> You're playing Big Shots in Valpo. Let's be real. This isn't, That's, that was know. a place for washed up big acts like Puddle of Mud played there. Did they really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. <laughs> that actually just blew my fucking mind. Oh, man. So you're 14 and playing music with your buddy who has a P bass. Just mm-hmm. you guys. Uh, um, And another one of our friends that we went to church with. I was a big church kid when I was okay. a kid, which we'll probably cover at some point. Sure, Real sure. Strange time. Totally. Um, We also got him really into like MXPX and all that kind of shit. So we started and he played drums. So we'd start playing MXPX covers. Man, and classic three piece. Three piece dudes playing punk rock in a basement when we were kids. It was like the punk rock American dream. Was that your first band, you would say? Oh, yeah, definitely. And did that band ever go beyond just playing together? We played, oh, we were in that particular band for probably a year and a half, two years. We recorded an EP. Um, wow, so you were almost 16 by the time uh, you recorded an EP. I was this, 15, 15, I think. Okay. It's fucking bad. I okay, have it. Hey, I have um, a. I was sixteen when I cut my first album. It's not good. It's like, and like I listen to it now, and I'm like, you know, cut yourself some slack. You were sixteen, but like, no, it's bad. <laughs> you know, I think maybe I don't know about you, but when I think about the quality of a musician at sixteen year old years old, like you said, cut yourself some slack. But then I think of uh, Clarity by Jimmy Eat World, right? And I'm like, <laughs> they were sixteen. That's like one of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's be real right now. Like, table so fuck for, the slack. You were in a shitty band. Yeah, you were just not. You just didn't know what you were doing. It's, it's totally true. Uh, but it's okay. Did you guys do any live shows or anything? Tons. Okay, cool. Um, we played a whole bunch of shows. Um, we had probably a total of eight of our own songs. We played a whole bunch of covers. We played like probably 20 MXPX covers, a couple Green Day covers, Alistair. Um, what else did we cover? Shit like that. Yeah, Stuff that totally. was cool then. But ultimately, you get that big ass rush. Oh yeah! And you record an EP now. I feel like you said we, we in a year and a half we did a lot recording an EP. But I feel like there's a but, and then something happens. So what's the other side of this that changed? Um, our drummer at the time was like real artsy and weird. He's like, I don't want to play punk rock. I'm too smart or whatever. Did he get into Tool or something? Like he, what the fuck? Uh, he got into just like weird. Shit, I don't know. Um, okay. So, you got to like heavier stuff. So then later, like probably six months down the road, the three of us decided to just like take a different route, and we added another buddy of ours to play guitar, and started like this obnoxious, noisy, like screamo kind of band. Okay. And uh, I listened to those two EPs we put out now, and I'm like, I can't believe I wrote this shit when I was 16 or 17. This shit's kind of cool. You're impressed with yourself. I really was, because like there was a lot of weird tempo t- changes and like time signature changes, and I'm like, why did how did we think of this? We you were naive and not thinking is the r- secret. I've right. learned that in retrospect, really. Instead of overthinking. You're not. You're just like, we'd go into a part and didn't realize that the tempo changed drastically. And you're like, this is fucking cool. Yeah, Let's keep jamming you it. You listen to him and go, oh, that flows. It's nice. Like, it was a really cool shit to do and now I'm, I'm going to out good. I'm going to ask a little tangent of a question off that. You really, you said you're genuinely impressed with this, the two EPs you released with your second band. What were the names of your first two bands, My by the way? My first band was called Scribe. Okay, I like it. I think that's a cool uh, it's name. It's a 15-year-old band name. It's sure. quite lame. Second band was called The Assignment. I like that as well. I, sure. The Assignment's cool. Like It was a lot. It was one of the more fun bands I've been in in my life still. Sweet. So my question is with your second band, The Assignment, have you ever considered going back, revisiting those songs, and maybe reworking them more for your own 
self-satisfaction now that you're a further along musician. Absolutely. Um, I only had our first EP for years. Uh, a friend of mine found our second EP in like a closet somewhere because this was like pre-internet, so like it wasn't online. And he sent it to me, and I'm like, I haven't heard these songs in so long. Holy shit, these are great. This was probably five years ago. Okay. So I sent it to the rest of the dudes, and I'm like, guys, listen how awesome this is. And like, let's make another fucking record. I'm like, let's make another record. So we're all scattered over the country. Like, I was in Chicago at the time. Uh, one of the guys is in Baltimore. One of them's in Portland. I'm like, we can make it over the internet. Easy. Uh, we hyped it up with ourselves and planned it, and it, we just didn't do it. <laughs> happens. But, uh, it's, sometimes it's difficult to resurrect those kind oh, of things. It, it was definitely talked about heavily, just never happened, which is fine. It can always be revisited. It's not like something that's um, impossible to go back to, obviously. So you, you you have that in your back pocket. So scribe the assignment, you're 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Then there's another seismic shift. You do something else. You jump. There's another band with some of those people after this. Um, so you guys maybe decided to change styles? or Our uh, drummer who got us to do like the artsy, weird, obnoxious, heavy shit went off to college. Okay. So me... The singer, who also played bass, and the guitar player started something new, and the singer switched over to playing piano. Um, we got a drummer and a bass player, um, just from like other bands that we knew from the scene and shit, just kind of threw them together. And it was more of a like something corporate, Copeland kind of thing. Okay. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, the recordings we did, like we spent a decent amount of money on them. They turned out really, really good. Uh, I still am really proud of them, even though I was like 18. Okay. Um, that band was called Cutaway Blue. Super meaningless. Couldn't tell you. I don't know where it came from. Just some words together. It actually is super awesome. I don't know. Thank it, you. It, 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 it sticks in there, Cutaway Blue. But it was that was a really cool band to be in. I really, really liked it a lot. So all the while, through all three of these bands, you're gaining something that I think not every musician is... And you're going to hopefully understand where I'm coming from. But you're getting like um, these ultra memorable experiences. Absolutely. That are like experience points towards your looking to the bigger picture later in your life to where we're going to eventually get to now. But um, is there are there any moments in those first three journeys that you, the first three ventures of music that you did that are like almost Mount Rushmore moments you'll never forget playing at this place for oh, some Oh, yeah, reason. lots of them. Yeah, I mean, please share some um, of those with us. I, I would love to hear. I remember being in the assignment. It was probably 2005. We were playing with one of Chris's old bands and a couple of the other guys from Get By's old bands. Um, we were playing at the Knights of Columbus in Cedar Lake. And there was like 300 fucking people there. Whoa. And we're playing this song. I forget what song it was, but there's a middle part and there's like a bridge and there's kind of like a clap along chant kind of part and there's 300 kids clapping and chanting the words of the song and i'm 16 years old on top of the world i'm like how do you fucking know any of this this is the coolest thing that's ever happened that was neat it's like your words coming out of their mouths and then that's mm-hmm. the that's the energy that hooks people oh on yeah playing live is feeling the crowd give you back what you're giving them and mm-hmm. then to be able to almost feed that energy like amplified back to them absolutely so that is incredible. Knights of the Columbus is a big place. 300 oh, yeah. kids at it that was time. packed in there. I mean, um, 
has to be almost kind of like overwhelming at that point. It really to be was. Like, I'm 16, and how's this? What? What? What are we doing? No idea how it happened. Because like I don't, I don't think we could put 300 kids in a room now. I think it's a different era, though. It I think really it's was. So fucking hard to get people to come out nowadays. It really is. And I think that doesn't come from anything else other than cell phones. 100. Yep. percent I think they dictate um, the live experience now. They kind of do. And and I, I that we could do a whole like. I could rant for days about the cell phone and, and the pros and cons of having it at concerts, sure. but I digress. So you're coming on a cutaway blue. Um, I feel like everything, like you seem like you do things for a couple of years mm. and either the drummer leaves mm. or you guys decide to try something just a little bit different and you keep evolving. You're like the constant in the music. Yeah. Some of the guys are interchangeable as you've evolved throughout. There's your game. one guy. Cause there's another band after that still with this, one of these guys. Uh, the kid who got the P bass pack when we were twelve or thirteen was in. I was in a band with him from then until probably two thousand nine. Wow, so long, like, long, like, long time, time together. Long time. Um, after Cutaway Blue split, um, what uh, people went off to college. We just got old, stopped. Probably took a year off from being in a band, and we started another band called Fighter Planes, which was like super indie. Um, cold play ish and it was cool it was like the the songs were really well written and cool i just didn't enjoy playing it it just wasn't your vein of music it, exactly it didn't get you essentially off when you were on stage doing it it was like yeah it's That's great to play these songs 100 percent. it okay. like they're good songs but it's not for me so is that i don't i mean, how long were you in this in this band not super long um that band probably only lasted a year maybe so you probably did like one EP. We had there was like seven shows. songs, eight songs that were tracked. They're they're great. They sound phenomenal, but just didn't have fun. Man, I feel like you should write, like do an anthology of all your music through the evolution of you. That would like, be a lot all of fun, your favorite actually. songs. It would be just to see how because I feel like a lot of people get, and I mean I'm even guilty of this myself. You almost get pigeonholed into one specific style. I feel like you've been pretty fearless in going. I'll try this style. I'll play this style. Whatever. Yeah. And my, like in between those bands, there was like small ideas where me and a couple friends would be like, "Let's jam this," and like it would be like a three or four session jam kind of thing. And you trying, started like, to feel it, but then metal it- and hardcore and just trying different stuff. Nothing ever really took off. Just little jam sessions in a basement once or twice or whatever. But yeah, I would have tried anything. Okay. So you leave fighter pilots, right? I want to make sure I'm saying that right. Fighter planes. Fighter planes. See, I screwed it up. Uh, we got called fighter pilots all the fucking time. Really? <laughs> yes. So I guess that's kind of funny that I accidentally <laughs> totally did okay. that. Okay. So fighter planes, you decide you're like, this one year thing is not for me. Did you go back to your roots after that? No, uh, it- I moved to, I think it kind of ended. I moved to the city. Okay. And it just kind of, Fell apart. And what year are we at in this part? 2009 or 10 is when I moved to the city. I don't remember. Okay. I was like 22, okay. something sure. like that. So you kind of went on a different venture. Did you start bands up in the city? Oh, uh, a couple of years down the road, I was in a, a band with Chris. But before that, and I still do this here and there, but for from 2010 until probably 2015, I was really active and put out a lot of music, uh, just solo making like weird, spacey, instrumental hip hop. Oh, that's by awesome. myself. It was a ton of fun. I still do it from time to time, but not nearly as much. Like from 2010 to 2015, I probably put out like two full lengths and like seven EPs. Wow! Yeah. So you were busy making just, electronic, hip-hop. like just weird, spacey, <clears throat> slow, lo-fi beats. 
awesome. It was a ton of fun. I love it. I want to go listen to a bunch of that. I like hip hop as well. So that's, cool. uh, it's some of it's on Spotify. Most of it's on Bandcamp. I'll send it to you. Cool. For sure. Do that. Uh, so I guess that actually enter, enters another question before we continue through the musical side of it, because you just brought hip hop to the fold. Sure. That's a big part of who I know you as too. You are an avid lover of hip hop. And, um, where did that love start? Was it in the middle of you being in these bands? Was um, it early on as a uh, kid? My aunt introduced me to the Beastie Boys when I was probably seven or eight. And I've never stopped loving the Beastie Boys. They're one of my favorite bands ever. I can actually um, recall the fact that every single time you were at karaoke and Steve... Uh, did his any of the Beastie Boys he did for karaoke? You were going off every time. Yep. So I think one time didn't you join him on stage for it? That was because uh, no, I asked him like, "Let me do it with you," and he's like, "I don't know." He's like, "I know it all," and I'm like, "Trust me, motherfucker." So do I. Like, he's just, like, "Fine, you can do MCA's parts," and I'm like, "Fine, great, thank you." Nailed him. Do it. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was a ton I think of there's fun. There's video somewhere of that too. I think so. I feel like on Facebook land, but uh, so. Beastie Boys is the first love. Oh, yeah. But I feel like you evolved, and I, I could name... I feel like I could throw a dart at a board and hit any number of artists that you love in the hip-hop community. Oh, yeah. There's so tons. Where, what are your major influences in that world? My fa- As far as like producers or MCs? However you want to slice it. Uh, you can uh, give me well, two I'll different do, lists. I'll do a couple of each. My favorite producer is like just Beats Alone, the RZA from Wu-Tang Clan, um, Pete Rock, Mad Lib. Kanye West, Flying Lotus. Um, oh, God, there's so many. Uh, MCs, Nas, Jay-Z, uh, Black Thought from The Roots, Most Def, Talib Kweli, Common. Hell yeah. I love hip-hop. Absolutely. Uh, and a lot of people, like, they kind of shit on, like, modern-day hip-hop because it's kind of, like, ignorant and ridiculous. Can be. But it's so fun. Like, <laughs> I love it. All of it. I think that... One thing I notice, Larry, in your style as a person is, as long as you get enjoyment from it, you're all about it. Like, oh, yeah. You try not to find things to be negative about, I guess. Is that a good assessment? Uh, I have a very negative outlook on a lot of shit, for sure. More musically uh, speaking. Oh, though. oh, musically. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I try to find something good in everything. I'm really a big sucker for just like simple chord structure and melody. Yeah. So no matter where I am, if like I'm at a restaurant and they're playing like shitty pop country, I can hear the chord structure of the melody and be like, this is a well-written song. I can fuck with it. Okay. You're like, all right, I'm into it. So now we're going to go from hip hop and we're going to kind of jump because there's another part of you that I want to make sure people know. You sure. were part of No Fences. Am I correct? I was. I don't want to sound like a cocky dick, but also No Fences didn't do much. Yeah. I That whole record besides vocals is all me. Awesome. You did you tracked everything else? I, well, the, the drums are programmed in Logic. Okay. Um, I recorded all the guitars, all the bass. I remember me and my buddy Tim, which is Chris's cousin, we were karaokeing one night, which is just a thing I love to do, and we're singing "The Thunder Rolls" by Garth Brooks, and I'm like, one of my favorites, amazing song, absolutely. And I'm like, dude, we could fucking turn this into a punk song. So the next day, I was in my apartment, and I just fucked with it on Logic, and I'm like, this is tight, and I'm like, I'm gonna do a couple more. Just went through. I'm like, what are his best songs? Which is super hard to pick. Oh, absolutely. 
There's like, uh, I mean, God, uh, Thunder. Okay, so Thunder Rolls is one. The Dance is probably we did, one. We did the dance. Oh, uh, um, Standing Outside the Fire is one. Th- that was the second one I did. It didn't put it on the EP. I really wanted to. That is my favorite Garth Brooks song. Really? Oh, my God. You know what's yeah. weird? I love that song, but the video. It's so sad. I hated it. <laughs> I hated it as a kid, man. It, like, scarred me to this day. It's, it's heavy. It is heavy. That and there was, a, there was another country singer had some video and like this girl fell and like cracks her skull on his boat and dies it's like a super tragic and sad song from the 90s i love 90s pop country like a lot it was good that was <laughs> I, it's weird though it also brings up a dark point in my life because like the the 90s pop country that happened your garth brooks and reba mcintyre's and stuff like that tim mcgraw's and whatnot was in the era that my parents were getting divorced so oh, that sure. like is like the fuel that they were listening to against each other, I guess you'd say. Uh, oh, I get that. And that's, there's lyrically, there's not a better type of music to do that to. Correct. Correct. <laughs> so it's funny because my dad then turned into this big metal head. My mom kind of stayed country and pop country. And then that my dad affects me to be the musician I am now. So back to it though. No fences is something I never got to experience live. Sure. We I only played a- probably less than 10 shows. Okay. So the easiest band in the world to book. I'd email a bar and be like, hey, I'm in a melodic, shitty, punk rock, hardcore Garth Brooks cover band. And they're like, what? Are you seriously? Yeah. Please come play here. I'm like, okay. So monetarily speaking, I guess it probably had some positive qualities. You could probably make a little bit of money off of doing that. Um, we, nah, I don't know. If we did, I don't know whatever happened to it. We were super drunk the whole time that band was a band. I guess that's all that matters, right? You were <laughs> Which was fun? kind of the point. We could... Because the band was satirical almost like for the whole thing because it's such a ridiculous idea. So we could play a show and be shit hammered and just rant about whatever we wanted and no one thought anything weird of it because like, oh yeah, this is a joke. These guys are idiots. And it was the best. That's amazing. It takes all the pressure off of your performance. Oh, totally. Because if we just bombed and sucked, it didn't matter. It was just a fun dicking off asshole thing to do and it were i get and another thing with no fences that it's like at the very worst if you're having a quote-unquote bad show they're gonna sing along because oh, they yeah. know the fucking words i mean did you guys do friends in low places i forgot to bring that one up i didn't want to because i hate that song okay and if anyone's like Garth brooks they're like oh yeah that song i'm like no fuck you he has so many other great songs thank you i absolutely agree with that i was curious because <laughs> i was like that's um i feel like it, that's like almost a karaoke faux pas to oh, do oh friends God. in low yeah, places. Like, you go see karaoke, you're going to see that and don't stop believing probably three, four times a piece. Oh, man, or or sometimes much worse. I mean, I have, now that I, now you know, you judged it too. Like judging karaoke opened my eyes up to people thinking good songs aren't, well, thinking bad songs are good, I guess is the best way sure. to say that. Um, and maybe to them they are good songs, but that yeah, doesn't sure. necessarily, I, I don't, the first night of karaoke, I don't know if you were there for that, maybe not, but the first night of karaoke, some guy did some George Strait song, and it was like the the slowest, downerest, ballady, bummer song I've ever heard. Ugh. And I do love George Strait, but that's not a karaoke thing. Correct. And it like killed the mood of the whole entire Twin Cade bar. Like, I, I saw a guy like, karaoke the Postal Service one time. And I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, like that one Postal Service album is phenomenal. Oh I'm like, dude, God. like we're having fun. Fuck you. Give Up is a great album, but it is, that is not so karaoke depressing. Material. Not at all. Like, I love Such Great Heights, one of my favorite songs, but don't bring it to karaoke because I'm no. just going to go in the back and cry. Yeah. I don't want to be emo karaoke. I want to be chilling and having a great time. If emo karaoke was a thing. Make it a thing, bro. Dude. That probably wouldn't be that hard. And a whole mess of people would come to it. You know it. Absolutely. Emo karaoke nights, man. 
goth karaoke nights. People will be all about that shit. I would love that. Gotta just corral everybody how they want to be corralled. <laughs> That's what they're into. So, when did No Fences actually? I, I didn't really ask this question. Was that the in between before Get By took off? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing the hip hop thing, and then still, I, I when's the last thing I put out with that? Probably like a year and a half, two years ago. But uh. No Fences started maybe 2013, 2014, maybe lasted a year. Um, and then I was living in Albany Park on the north side of the city. And Andrew, the drummer from Get By, sent me a message on Facebook. And we, I met Andrew, and well, I'll get into the Get By history. Um, but he sent me a message on Facebook. He's like, hey, man, uh, I'm starting a pop punk band with Jack and Josh. And I'm like, oh. He's like, you got to be in it. I'm like, I would love to be in it. I live in the city. I'm not going to go back and forth to Northwest Indiana and the city to be in a pop punk band. You're not living on the South Shore to do this band. Right. And like, just fuck that. But uh, he sent me one of the demos I did. I'm like, fuck, this is good. I really want to be in this band. Um, And then uh, I was dating this girl at the time. And... This and that, blah, blah, blah. We ended up moving back to Indiana because that's what we both thought was a good idea at the time. Um, and then Andrew messaged me. He's like, hey, you live in Indiana again. No I'm still excuses. in this band. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you're still in that band. So am I. And uh, now I'm in Get By. <laughs> that's awesome. So did you, um, when Get By was at that point, had they really gotten it going enough to where when you jumped into the fold, it disrupted things? Or were you just like a natural fold into the progression because they needed you? Andrew, Jack, and Josh were in a band for a couple years, and then that band called it quits. And the next week, they started this because Josh is like, I want to start a pop punk band. So Jack and Andrew were like, okay, cool. So they did that. Um, and they had only written like two or three like instrumental songs, and then I jumped in, and nothing got disrupted. Everything went smooth and good. Sweet. And then was Chris then the final element that gets added in? They were talking back and forth, a couple singers. They tried out, and I'm like, I know a great singer. So I showed him a couple of No Offenses tracks, like, yeah, bring him to practice next week. And he was in right away. And here we are. And here we are. In, in 2019 now. Uh, get by, I feel like you guys are also, I can easily say this, workhorses. Because oh, sure. you guys put in effort to be the band you guys are while Chris was temporarily going to Louisiana. Oh, yeah. We I still mean, you kept guys going. put in work. You guys were booking shows and he was flying back sometimes, yeah. right? To just not only to do back. the show, but to see his family, obviously. Sure. But it just would be like, if he's going to be home, let's fucking like, let's make do the a most show. of this. And we made it happen. And you guys survived. He was gone for like six he months. He was gone for like the better part of a year. Was it, was it a year? And it was like like a full-term pregnancy. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It was, it was <laughs> that's, that's a weird way to say it, but you're absolutely correct. So he's gone away. He comes back full on, and you guys now have your second full album out? We released three EPs. Three EPs. Um, our first EP was 2016, 2017, 2018. We released one every year. We are in the process of writing a full length now. Um, it's not. We're probably safe to say we're not a pop-punk band anymore. But that's okay. No, we just kind of experimented with dynamic and texture and became something new. And it's awesome. And the album is probably, I would say, 70% written. Wow. Um, It will tentatively be out by September. 
Excellent. I that's think. Uh, they're probably going to be pissed that I said that. Don't you didn't put any pressure on them? Don't worry about Fuck it. Em. You guys will be fine. Every <laughs> that, that happens in our band all the time. I'm like, no, we can fucking. We have a bunch of stuff on our plate too, and I'm like, we can do these four fucking songs like in less than a month. It's not that hard for us to play music together. And then we've been doing like, it for three years now. It's like, dude, we got it. We know what to do. Well-oiled machine. It's not that hard. So that's exciting that you guys are seventy percent done with your full length. I ruin everything's the last EP you put out. Correct. Now, is it safe to say that I Ruin Everything is as close to what these new songs are going to sound with, or is it a literal full-blown departure? It is a full-blown, completely different thing. Wow, that's actually... Um, It's not necessarily more aggressive, but it is more aggressive. It's a lot darker. Okay. Um, Most songs are in minor keys. Um, We kind of shied away from, tonally, guitar-wise, we used like, high gain, like metal sounding amps. Cause like if our songs were in minor keys, we would just sound like a hardcore band. Okay. Totally. But, uh, we're using more of like Vox kind of tones and more just like Rocky stuff. I'm using a lot more effects now. Pure chunkiness. Not so much thrashiness. That's dead on. I got you. A lot more reverb, a lot more space and vibe and Ooh, it's, it's different. That's exciting. And also has to be a little bit terrifying for you. Again, you're venturing into a new territory. Um, but it's very cool. Everyone's super happy. That's excellent. Um, there's a different guy in the band now for... How long has he been in this band? Since or late spring, maybe? I was going to say, it's getting close to a year now. Josh because, moved to Hawaii. Yeah, and actually when Chris was on The Voice Survival last season, it was right before Josh was moving. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, we were kind of hearing how that was getting yeah. ready to play out. And the guy that is in our band now was in, I mentioned that band that Jack and Josh and Steve were in before. He was in that band. Oh, so it all fits nicely. Yeah. So you guys, did you guys try a bunch of people out or was he the guy? We had a couple people in mind and uh, I don't know who pitched Steve or how it came up, but it came up and I'm like, I love Steve. And he came, he had learned a bunch of stuff already. We didn't have to teach him anything. Oh, that's exciting. And I'm like, oh, everything sounds fine. And you're great. So, cool. This works. Let's just do it. Well, a lot of the stuff he learned, like just by, by ear listening to the album, he learned a bunch of my parts. So, I was like, okay, you know what? You know this. We don't have to teach you anything. I'll play Josh's parts. It's fine. And it worked out super well like well, because now I, it's like playing all new songs for me. It's like new parts. Oh, that's excellent. And since you you have trust in him to play those parts exactly. that are yours, mm-hmm. you don't have to work. You you can feel confident to pick up Josh's parts knowing mm-hmm. your parts are beautifully covered. You don't have to Absolutely. fucking worry about a thing. I don't think there's anyone else I would want to be in this band now at this point instead of Steve. Wow, that's excellent. So I'm going to ask a really strange future trip and possibility question, but what would happen if Josh were to move back? Would you go three guitar players? I mean, Josh this... initially pitched the idea that he was moving to Hawaii right before we played a really big show. And I'm like, could you have waited till after the set, motherfucker? Because we were all tense and stressed out. It was the, uh, the same night we recorded our very first episode with T-Pig. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, actually. That was a great night. I love those guys. Um, but he told us that at the show, and I'm just like, what? Fuck you, man. Um, and then he changed his mind. But during that time, before he told us he changed his mind, we're like, okay, we're going to try something new with just four guitar players or four people, one guitar player. We went like the more, just, I don't know how to explain it, different kind of vibe, wrote a couple songs. It was cool. He goes, oh, never mind. I'm not moving. I'm like, okay, well, keep it going as is. And then a couple months down the road, he goes, okay, I'm moving. So if he moves back, I'll be like, yeah, fuck you. 
<laughs> Too late, like, man. Like, I, Josh is one of my best friends in the world, and I love him to death. But do you like, no. And no, because you guys have now got a different rhythm. Yes. And, and he also, he put me on an emotional ass roller coaster up and down with this. I'm moving, I'm not moving, I'm moving, I'm not moving. Yeah. And so that's, if and he does, it's like, hey, man, you can, no. Fair Sorry. point. <laughs> okay. So with, okay, on the other side of I Ruin Everything, you guys are writing this thing that's darker, it's heavier, it's different. Is your new guitar player affecting that sound? Or is it just um, circumstantial that you guys are going down that path? Both of those and another thing. Um, Steve writes a lot of like just more riff-based, pretty-sounding stuff than me and Josh ever did. Okay. Um, Josh wrote a lot of our old music. Um, so then he took off and we started writing again. I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? So I started writing a lot. So I'm going to write naturally just darker songs than he did. So the skeletons of these songs, I've written most of them. So it's just a matter of someone else writing the songs, another person adding different riffs and vibes and ideas and people wanting different shit. Just trying new things and getting it out there. That's excellent. It's very cool. I'm very psyched on what we're doing. So that is going to round back to the, you, you tied it in beautifully. I didn't even have to work for the segue. What inspires you to come from that darkness? What in if in and this is again oh, sure. as as we said off air as much as this you want to talk about, but is there I guess um, a path of survival you've had to kind of undertake throughout your life and steps? Oh, sure. Uh, evolving as a person, finding yourself that have been these dark moments that kind of stick with you. Yeah, um, most of my life. Um, crippling anxiety helps me write dark music for sure. Okay. I, for I sure. Can, I can absolutely understand that because um, Sarah having crippling anxiety, I see her struggle to do shows, going to places oh, yeah. we have to go. Like, we oh, yeah. booked this show and we are 20 minutes before the gig. Are we going to even play? course it always comes through that we do but sure. the the watching her suffer that anxiety in and of itself is not something that i think is i feel like it has been something that has been overlooked and has become an epidemic in our country sure that's like, very dead on like anxiety doesn't just necessarily mean you don't want to leave your house but it, it, it can trap you in your mind where you're thinking thoughts that aren't even real and then you become and, and you can speak better on this than me. I'm just speaking from conjecture and what I've seen sure. other people go through. But it seems like you get trapped in this situation where you're almost forced to live two realities. There's That's what everybody sees, and it's what's in your head. And then the mm-hmm. battle oh, yeah. between those two is what creates the tension. Mm-hmm. That's very, 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 very accurate. Okay, okay. Well, I'm glad I could kind of understand that as best I can. But uh, does the... Anxiety have a uh, a, a genesis point. Uh, is there are there things that that happened? I mean, some people it's being bullied as a kid. Some people sure. it's the home life. Uh, I was picked on quite a bit as a kid just because I was fat and poor. So that's the fat poor kid thing. That's what you get picked on. That's which is probably kind of what segued me into being into punk rock. Fuck you! You don't have to care what I am in punk rock. I can be whatever the fuck I want. Exactly. I love that. Um. Yeah. That's a big chunk of it, definitely. So being picked on as a kid, uh, it's interesting because you, you, you have your sister who's slightly older. Did she ever fight your battles for you or stand up for you or oh, try to... for sure. When we were little, that would happen a lot, it's definitely. Fun, it's funny to, to me that you're the younger sibling in your sister and you relationship because I'm the older sibling in my sister and mm. me relationship, right? So mm. 
I was fighting a lot of her battles. Sure. I was seeing her three years younger get picked on by people and be like, I will fuck you up, kid. Sure. Like, there is no joke here. So as your sister defends you, it also probably affects you, like, um, knowing that you have someone who believes in you in that regard. Oh, yeah. And even when you guys are bickering at home, you knew someone had your back. Oh, yeah. So those moments and those memories all build to how you write music now. Oh, yeah. And um, I feel like we could segue, and I'm going to let you kind of take the reins here, but what are other moments in your journey that are major that have affected you as a writer, as a musician, and as a person who creates? Uh, My parents got divorced when I was six or seven. Wow. So that's a probably a pretty shitty time. Definitely. Yeah, I was eight when my parents got divorced, so absolutely so like, it was dead on. Like pretty rough. Um, and it was my dad would be around at first substantially more than later years. So we tried, I guess, for a bit. Okay. Um, and then it just stopped. Whatever, fuck them. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, that definitely probably embedded a bunch of agony and anxiousness into my bones as a whole just not not having the stability of a father figure there to Correct. rely on and uh again the interesting yin and yang of us because i very much had my father in my life sure and not so much my mom so okay. it's kind of that reverse right um and it does affect you as a person oh yeah not having both of the support systems there throughout your whole growth and 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 I guess for me it was a little bit different because I did have both my parents there, but I had a mother who was against everything I did. She hated I liked music. She hated that I was a basketball player, not a wrestler. Any decision I made, she was against it. Sure. So it made me feel like every decision I made was wrong, and you start to like question yourself. Oh yeah. So not having someone there also causes you to question yourself. And 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 in the early ages of seven, eight, nine, and ten in your development years, not. Um, I, I, I can only speak from my experience, but I know when my parents got divorced at that age, my first thought was, it's all my fault. Sure. I did this. And it's not. Kids have very little impact on ultimately what the decision between sure. the parents are as we are adults and have been in relationships. No, sometimes shit just becomes toxic. Yeah. And you have to get out. Uh, so I feel like, though, on the flip side of this, and this is going to turn the negative into the positive, I feel like your mom is a fucking shining light to you. That just I have like, my mom's name tattooed on my wrist. Really? I do. That's wicked. Um, me and my mom are have always been super tight. She's always been super supportive of everything I do. Um, she is fantastic. That's and excellent, man. She got remarried when I was uh, maybe a senior in high school. Uh, and he's rad. He's super fucking good to her. Oh, that's excellent so, to hear. Uh, Everything's great in that regard. It's awesome. It totally worked out differently. Now, do you see, I guess you'd call him your stepdad? Yeah. Right? Do you see him as like a now a guiding light of a father figure to you because he's been there for so long? I mean, almost half your life. He has done a lot of stuff for me, for sure. Um, We're not, I wouldn't say we're tight by any means. Um, We definitely have things that we can like talk about and like have in common, but he's just an all around good guy. But I wouldn't say he's like my dad by any means. Totally, because he wasn't trying to probably be that when and you're... He, and like, I think he kind of knew. He's like, well, this isn't the thing I'm supposed to do. So so he did definitely like step back unless I wanted him to do some something more. Or give advice or right. be there for you in that mm-hmm. regard. Uh, that's got to be interesting for him, too, coming into a situation where he's marrying into this lady who has two now grown children. You said yeah. you were a senior in high school. Like I was a so. senior in high school. My sister was already off at college. 
you're going on to your own path to live your own life. He can't right. say, well, now I'm your dad, damn it, and and and, and try to like force that because exactly. it's not going to work. So I think that's beautiful to hear that he just said, let me just take this in stride. Sure. What Larry needs, I'll give him, and if I don't have to give him anything, that's okay too. He's really cool. I mean, he's uh, ah, I don't know. He's a good dude. I like him a lot. Okay, excellent. He's um really into like grilling and smoking meat and brewing beer and food. Hell my yeah. parents are big time into food. Like uh, me and Greg just went over to my parents f- for dinner last night, and it was phenomenal. That's excellent. You segue me into the next thing. Let's talk about Greg. He's your partner. He is. Let's get into that. When did you guys meet, man? We met in October of 2016. I feel like that's like the epicenter year for everything changing. 2016. Sure. You know, like uh, August of 2016, the Atari show for us. And then like I went into my own journey and have new things happening in my life. You meet Greg. And I feel like you just watch. And like I said this, I don't know if I said this on air, if we were off air, the whole Facebook land thing. Like we did that show. We had a Mm -hmm. long time apart where we were only really Facebook friends. So I've seen your essentially 180 from you seemed a little bit like you had maybe had some shit go on in your life leading up to 2016's October. Sure. And once you meet Greg, I feel like you've just been a different, happier, more you. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, before that I was dating a girl for 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, at the end it's like, it just got sick of forcing to make each other happy and we're still cool she's a great person but uh it just wasn't on that level anymore right and i'm like okay well fuck it so we stopped and then um probably like a month later i'm like hey i've always thought this was a thing i'm gonna find out if it's true so i got on grinder and just started talking to people and normally when you're doing that it's like uh you hook up with a dude once and then just bail but uh i was talking to him and i kept talking to him like i don't want to meet you i want to keep talking to you you seem cool so we talked and like texted for probably two or three months before we ever met. Wow. And then it happened like, okay, well, let's, let's go on a date. Let's meet. And we've been together ever since. That's excellent. Like nearing, I mean, by this October, it'll be three years. It'll be three years by this October. Um, how did your decision, and I was a part of this and I saw this, this is not something that's, I don't think, hidden. And again, we can discuss it or no, not. No, the whole world knows that I'm gay. Everybody. How did your decision to come out affect you, I guess? Um, because that's got to be freeing, genuinely. Oh, 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 my God. It was amazing. Um, I met this guy. We dated for probably, let's see, I came out in January of 2017. So we dated for about two and a half months before I did it. And I was just too happy. I'm like, I like this guy too much. Why do I need to hide Fuck it, it I'm anymore. doing it. Excellent. And I told a couple people here and there, like in between, like I told my sister, uh, Josh knew couple other people chris was one of the first to know my mom and uh and no one had anything bad to say no i thought i actually like to i i remember the day this is weird for me because i remember the day you came out as like i was like man this guy is like one of the coolest dudes i know and he's so brave because people on the internet are fucking brutal oh sure and to not okay it's not like you had a press conference it's not like you were in front of a million microphones and had some big platform you're you in front of the people you know, mm-hmm. just telling the people you care about the truth. Yeah. And I was just like, God damn, like, why can't more people aspire to be like that? And I also see the toxic world we live in and go, that's why. That's why. Because, I mean, it's probably not as bad now as it would have been like 15 years ago to do it. But absolutely. still, there's a lot of just ignorant dipshits in the world and people are afraid of that. And I get it. I I guess, I, I mean, uh, Sarah's 
brother's gay. He has a husband. I've been a part of her family for a long time, and they're great people. I have many friends on all spectrums of all different things, and it always drives me crazy to see like the 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 state we live in. Literally, sure. Indiana is like this. I don't know how to fucking say it. It's like a middle finger to progress. Uh, yeah, and it sure is. I love seeing people in Indiana, especially, live their truth without fear. That's because yeah. there are allies out there uh, across the board who champion the fact that everybody, like, you're happy. That's all I want for you is to be happy, man. Right. It's all that it should matter. I'm not like, I want you to be a miserable asshole. Well, how's that going to help me? It's not. If you're happy and you're living your life happy and you don't have worries, and I'm living my life happy and I don't have worries, if we're out in the world and we bump into each other, it's not going to be dramatic. It's not going to be road rage and all this crazy exactly. shit. But tensions are so high, right? So now, we've got a little bit, little bit, little bit here. Back to the full circle of it. What was the uh, decision of coming out? How did that, to you affect the band at least in your mind at first i'm at sure first well i told chris and i think josh knew because well, i told josh's ex-girlfriend one night when we we're hanging out and she goes i won't tell anybody and she fucking did tell josh and i was pissed damn but it's okay um <coughs> i was worried to tell them for sure and uh i just did one day in our band chat i'm like hey guys check it out and like whatever good like, what so what? what the fuck does that what does it matter to us do what you want I'm like oh so everything's cool and like yeah fine yeah, there was no stress. No, it was great. I think that you um, felt confident enough to come out because you have a good support system. True. You have your mom, you have your sister, and great bandmates. Mm -hmm. All those things considered, and a, a lovely partner. So all those things considered, what did you actually have to lose? And now, you're just you, man. You get to live you, and you don't have anything, at least as far as I know, True. you don't have anything weighing you down. My grandpa doesn't know that I'm gay. And I see him just about every day. Um, he would just lose it. So Generational thing, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. He's like 80. He's like Trump as fuck. And he's nuts. Oh. So um, my whole family just like, don't tell him. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And they're absolutely right. So I don't really care. Yeah. it's I mean, it's not like you... Cause in, grab a drink. Sure, yeah. Grab a drink, man. Uh, it's like you not telling him doesn't hurt you. It just doesn't hurt him to know because it could, it could, I mean, I mean, it would like, cause we're, we're very, very tight and we have been my whole life Yeah, and I feel like it would kill him. Okay. Now I'm going to ask just, uh, cause you, you went to that next step. Have you considered at some point it, at the end, maybe if, if he's on his deathbed telling him he's currently there. Really? Uh, oh yeah. Oh, shit. He's very sick. Sorry. Um, it's inevitable. He smokes like a chimney. He eats like fucking candy. It's, it's fine. It's, Whatever. A straight diet of cigarettes and sugar, huh? Uh-huh. And he's like, he's super diabetic and oh. it whatever. He knows and it's like, well, do something. He's just not. That's neither here nor there. Um, well, I guess it is kind of here. But yeah, yeah. I just feel like he'd be really bummed out and uh, it's not worth it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So moving forward, we're going to jump even into the into the further future here. Um, you are 70% done with your album. You've got all this life that you've been able to experience and live and say, is there any point, and, and this is going to jump back into a different part of your thing, is there any point where you're going to revisit the hip-hop side of yourself slash consider doing things more on a solo level just 
So if there's anything that you've never been able to say through Get By or any of your previous bands, you can say it. I've been like in the process of making another instrumental hip hop thing for like a year and I revisit it occasionally here and there. I do want to put it out. I probably, I probably will this year. It just depends when I get it done, but I definitely do want to do it. Excellent. I, I feel like you are just through the conversation we've had today. You're maybe one of the most creative people I know. Cause you just oh, grab thank it. You. you just grab it. You're just like, I want to try this. I want to do this. Like, let's bring this on. Let's do this. We haven't even gotten into your actual like day job. Sure. And that's something we connect on as well because you and I much alike graphic designers. Yeah. You do it on a more professional level. I don't really do design at work. I just print at work. You're a printer. Because when I do, like the design I would do at work is like really boring corporate kind of stuff and I'm just not into doing that. It, and I do a lot of merch designs and album art for my friends' bands and stuff. Um, And I love doing that. I'm guessing you do all of Get Buys. I would never let anyone else do it. <laughs> That I Ruin Everything album cover is dope, by the way. Uh, me and Andrew, well, I shouldn't say I wouldn't do it, any, let, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't let anyone else do it, because Andrew does give me a lot of ideas for stuff. Creative so, juices. Me and Andrew do kind of, I do most of the technical stuff, but Andrew definitely always has a vision. Excellent. So you guys just, it's it's between vision and execution. He creates an idea, you can execute the idea to fucking perfection. That's great. That's that's a great tandem to have with somebody to just know, like, I might not have an idea today, but if he does, I'll be able to make it perfect. I'm sure they get annoyed because, like, I'm posting shirt designs in the band chat, like, every day. And they're always like, yeah, cool, that's cool, that's cool. And I feel like they're never going to be like, no, not that one, not that one. I, they think they might get irritated you, with it, but... You guys should take all your designs and just create a thread list. Just send people to your thread list and they'll buy whatever design they want. That's true. Because then you don't have to spend any money on the, on the actual... Um, capital for t-shirts itself it's very true sell themselves you have all these ideas man i would i would wear a get by shirt i'm sure you have like a million great ideas i have a lot of shirt designs lots of them (laughs) um and 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 that leads me back to again so you're you much like me i don't really let anybody else in the kingdom do design for journey into comics network if you've noticed most of the logos are done by me however crucial tunes is all you my brother i did did do that. that And I love that logo, the Skella dude with the beatbox and the. It's fun. I like it a lot. It it's it's you guys. It just speaks to the style that you guys have. And um, you know, everybody who's listening to this show most likely has listened to the Crucial Tunes bonus episode. You guys is 2018, sure. Best of, which was an awesome episode to really kick things off. Next Friday. You guys actually debut officially on the network episode one, the pilot, and then the real work begins because then you guys got to kind of oh, like yeah. keep kicking it in. Uh, we what? have like four tracked. Wow. Holy hell. See, Chris doesn't give There's me all like, the skinny. We have, we have like guests and shit. And... What? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's excellent. One of the episodes I'm extra really psyched on. It's really cool. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Uh, see, I just got excited about something I didn't even know that was happening on my own network. So that's great. <laughs> uh, but you guys... There's a chemistry with you and Chris. Oh, I've at, known Chris since 2003, probably. I, have you guys just always been budding friends that kind of... We were in bands at the same time, and we were kids, and we played shows together, and we were just around. We didn't become super close until probably... We got really close when we started doing No Fences, but then we got closer and closer before that, but just as time went on. 
just closer and closer and tighter. Yeah, because life experiences, you're mm-hmm. spending time together, learning the Garth Brooks songs creates a funny, like, it, oh, yeah. it, not everybody knows Garth Brooks on all the different instruments or can sing it or whatever. So uh, being able to have that experience and then doing Get By, having all the different shows. I mean, you guys do a lot of shows, play a lot of different places. Uh, uh, you guys did something couple years ago or maybe it was last year in chicago it was some big ass hardcore fest yeah um at where was that it was at some diy space in pilsen it was right around the corner of my old apartment and it was intense as fuck and we're like the only pop punk band on the show um our buddy brian used to be in this band called drowning they're like the heaviest band in the world <laughs> and he likes us a lot so he's like hey come play this show I'm like all right, and he gave us, gave us like a super great spot and all kinds of shit. And that did not think it was going to go well. And it was just a bunch of tough ass like hardcore guys, like bald with head tattoos, just like with their arms crossed, nodding like this is tight. Really? I'm like, hey, cool. I even won over these assholes. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I I just thought of a great question from the bald guy with the mm. oh sure okay so. Have you had any experiences with uh, racism or extremism, sexism, homophobia, any of those things with your band Get By in any of the shows you've ever done? Never. That actually doesn't surprise me. A band full of all dudes not really getting fucked with. I guess sure. I have a different experience with Sarah and Veronica being females. Like, sure, sure. Dude, we were at a show in Fort Wayne, and I just was like, fuck the KKK, straight up on the mic. Just said it. Yeah, why wouldn't you say that? Right, correct. <laughs> After the show, some white nationalists, big fucking... 56-year-old dude, like, threatened my life in the parking lot. And I had one of my fucking pieces of my drum hardware in my hand ready to clock him. And I was like... Drum hardware is heavy. Dude, (laughs) and I'm not backing down from this guy. I'm like, I'm fucking right here in America, and I can say whatever the fuck I want. And I'm looking right at him going, fuck the KKK, bro. I'm a white nationalist. What are you going to do? I was like, fuck the KKK, bro. And then he walked off. And then I thought he was going to jump me. Never happened. So... White nationalism is fucking crazy. Fort Wayne, and I can't believe though. that it's real. <laughs> I know it's stupid. I, I that and that's a whole other. Oh sure, we could spend hours on bitching about. Yes, we can. Uh, this uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Have you found overall? I feel like there's a tighter unity in the world now that Trump is the shits hitting the fan more and more for him. A lot of his, I don't want to call him supporters. I just want to call him fans. Fans, yeah, um, are not psyched anymore no because he's running out of bullshit to feed them oh yeah and they're like okay i can kind of see this now it's like i don't understand why we elected a man who is has no history of being a politician it's like if you need brain surgery are you going to go get brain surgery from a guy who's been a brain surgeon for like 25 years or some guy who works in the stock room at target who goes i can do that (laughs) definitely the guy from target it's like it's the same fucking thing. It is. It absolutely it's, it's is. It's so insane. <laughs> I don't really like get into conspiracy theories or any of this, but I saw an article the other day that was like um a piece that was supported by facts but asking what if questions. Sure. And it was essentially saying that 1987, coincidentally the year we were both born. Sure. Uh, uh, you're the rabbit, I do believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what so, a bummer. Rabbits are not hard. I was hoping for dragon. I definitely Anything was. Anything besides a rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so the piece was essentially, what if in 1987 when Trump for the first time ever went to Russia, what if then, that very moment, he was already flipped to be an agent and they already knew what they wanted to do? Possible. 
absolutely possible. That's what I said. I was I read the whole article and I was just like, fuck. Mm-hmm. This is not surprising. Nope. And they're talking about like meetings in 91, 94, 97, like all these different times Trump has been to Russia. And I'm screaming, how do you guys not see this? How do people in, especially in Indiana, it's so bad, man. To, you know how many times, I'm sure you see it all the time. You're driving and there's somebody with a fucking Trump Pence thing and it just stabs you. You're like, no, we're not those people. You know what would be super scary about him actually getting impeached? Then Mike Pence would be the president. And Mike Pence is a politician and knows what he's doing. And that's way fucking scarier because he is a terrible person. However, and, and this will maybe give you some some positive uh, feelings. From what I've understood, and I watch a lot of news and try to stay up on all the current events of politics, essentially Trump's impeachment would ensure if he was actually charged with treason officially, sure. it's, a, it's a literal congressional crisis and everything, every cabinet pick everything he has done has to be undone which would include which include pence it would include all the ag nominees any of the laws that went into effect would immediately have to literally be put under a fucking microscope and viewed why did we pass this the count of treason through the president is a game changer never been done before so it's going to change i mean i guess in a fucked up way if this really happens he's going to make america great again it's just in a fucked up way it's going to cost him like his existence which it already has i mean yeah but he is oh my god i digress we should we should but how could that fucking have happened (laughs) well it's easy um republicans i hate to say it like that for the most part are gullible and they were fed a lot of shit that they thought they liked and it just didn't come to pass he did it from a business standpoint and he nailed it totally i mean he Um, did the sales pitch and he did a great job, and he fed a bunch of shit to a lot of stupid people. And I'm not saying that all Republicans are stupid people, but uh, a lot of like backwoods ass people are stupid. Yes, thank you. And the country's full of backwards full of- ass people. <laughs> There's a lot of people who live in the middle of nowhere who don't see much, and that's just what they hear. I'm like, oh, cool. It's our reality. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. I'm going to totally 360 this all the way back. We're going to keep the punk thing and all this. So we're talking a little bit about politics here. We're talking to a punk rocker here. What's up? Are you the next Beto O'Rourke? Are you going to consider down the road in your life maybe running politically for something? You are a voice of change. I am not smart enough. You really don't think so? You say that with Trump in office that you're not smart enough. I don't believe that for a second. Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, if I was going to do anything politically, I feel like I would have started by now. Okay, I'm 31. Yeah, but also, you never know. That's the exactly president the point. is fucking 80 or whatever, and he just got into it. Yeah, he just <laughs> just got into it. His so, first yeah, office, maybe. <laughs> okay, I like that. You heard it here first, folks. Maybe Larry's running for president in 2024. You never know. Well, how old do you have to be? 45. 35. Oh, fucking right. 2024. Watch y- you and Kanye, right? Ah, this is a big thing. Oh, let's talk um, about it. Yeah, sure. Kanye West means. A lot to me. Musically. Musically. And for a long time, I defended him for all the crazy shit he did. Because I'm like, he's misunderstood. He's got a lot of mental issues, this and that. Okay. He has gone so fucking far off the deep end that I do not think he can come back. Okay, so a part of that, I am guess you're talking about the uh, the White House visit with Trump. 100% of that okay. is what I'm talking but about. But <laughs> do you know that there was fallout from that? Yes. And he denounced Trump after that. 
But recently, again, he's picking it up again. Really? Yes. So, now, I don't know if you're privy to this. This is, again, I'm not huge into conspiracy theories, but when a good one falls in my lap, I read it, and I, and I take sure. it for what it's worth. A lot of people have been combing through Kanye's tweets between him and friends and have noticed certain things, and they believe this conspiracy that Kanye is actually kind of Trojan horsing Trump. He's playing it off like he's Trump's friend because he's sharing things like there there were posts where he would share stuff from Andy Kaufman. What was Andy Kaufman best known for? Staying in character throughout and just playing the fucking game, right? That's true. There are references to Jim Crow back in the 30s and 20s and stuff and like rampant racism against black people from white people and playing a character again. And all these little things and the way he said certain things to people make a small, I guess, percent of this conspiracy believable that he's essentially playing to Trump's strengths, buying into Trump so he can get close to him. Oh, yeah. To turn him. That is very interesting and I think might hold a lot of water. If you look into it, I mean, it's been a couple months ago. I'll try to find the article and send it to you. But but it's really – it's a very detailed – like dissection of all these tweets, everything Kanye said, interviews, things he's defended, the reason he said certain things, why he would take Trump's side on this specific thing. Sure. You know, did Kanye essentially use his power of um, personality to essentially give Kim Kardashian the room to help prison reform? Because it actually happened. Because of Kim Kardashian, there's been some prison reform. And Isn't some that fucking crazy? <laughs> through Trump. I mean, it's like there's a small percent of the things he does that's like, okay, it's not bad. But then there's like that. Like he did l- the, that streaming music thing where like artists get a bigger cut. And I saw that and I'm like, yes. oh, I wish someone else did that. Correct. Like, <laughs> damn it, Obama. Where were you? Why weren't you thinking like this? But he was fixing much bigger problems. It's True. Like, but I'm like, this, this affects me and this, this is good. But fuck fucking, you. Yeah. Fuck. Why did you do that? Could someone else have done this? Yeah. So uh, moving forward, Larry, before we go here, I got to know overall in your life, if you could give someone, yourself, a younger version of you, that nugget of, hey, this is going to help you get through everything you're about to experience in life, what would you tell a younger you? Um, oh, um, I would probably go back to when I was like 19 or 20 and say, hey, move to the city when you're going to move to the city. Um, but don't pretend that you're not gay anymore. Just do it. Okay. So you... Did you go to the city uh, and see you've given me a question out of an answer? Okay. Did moving to the city at that point in time, was that you trying to maybe escape yourself? No, it was just me and a couple of my friends who grew up in Indiana just being 19 or 20 and bored. I'm like, hey, the city's close. Let's go there. Because we would go there like every couple of days. I'm like, fuck it. Let's just move here. Just be and, there all the time. We did. We got jobs doing shit and just... Did it. Now, do you think you would have come back to do Get By and everything else had you come out back then and just no. been yourself? No. And I would have never met Greg. I wouldn't be in Get By. I would still probably live in the city and married some dude and maybe potentially be super happy. I have no idea. But uh, I really like what I got going now. So it was a good thing to happen then. Hell yeah. So man. maybe I wouldn't have told myself to come out then because I would never have been in this band and be with Greg. So... There's like all these, yeah, see? It's, I, don't it's, know. I don't know what it would be. I mean, I guess for like, I, I know that when I think about that question, like if I could go back and tell myself anything, the one thing I think every person at any point in their life, at adulthood, you need to go back and forgive the younger you. Oh, sure. Because kid you, 
is the first time in your skin. You have no experience. You're trying things and doing things all for the first time. Oh, yeah. And making mistakes. And I think that some mistakes stay with kids throughout their adulthood. It creates anxieties. It creates oh, yeah. stresses. Oh, yeah. And it fully affects them. And I feel that going back and just telling yourself, like, hey, man, 10-year-old Nate, you made terrible decisions. You were a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's okay. Like, sure. it's cool. Like, you're going to grow. You're going to evolve. Everyone does. If you're not having growth as a person, you're not growing. And I think you are, like, a shining example of growth. You've, Thank you. You've rolled with every punch life has given you. You've decided to make the best of it, and you've not let anything hold you down. I think that's a, a, a big factor to your character as a human and also the experience that you've lived in your life. Thank you. Uh, so that's very cool. Yeah, man. So before we get out of here, as always, we're going to do the plugs for the day. Uh, you can check out the Journey into Comics Network and the Voice of Survival podcast at journeyintocomics.com. Go to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Google Play Music, or Spotify. Uh, subscribe to us at Journey into Comics Network. That's where you get all the shows, including your new show, Crucial, Crucial Tunes. Tunes. That's next Friday, man. I'm excited. I'm psyched, man. And then, like, you got episodes I haven't even We've heard yet. We've got a yet. couple episodes. Some cool shit, actually. A couple awesome. guests. We got a, we're got. we doing an episode with another guest in a couple weeks. It's a dude that you know. Oh, exciting. I'm super it's looking. Andy Reid. Oh, yeah. Hey, and actually, speaking <laughs> of that, tomorrow, I think, you might want to look this up. I feel like tomorrow is Andy's first episode of the next oh, episode. I feel like one of us should know this, and I'm real sorry, Andy. <laughs> I'm saying it because we're time traveling. Right now, when we're recording this, is Tuesday. Oh, This okay. doesn't drop till Friday. I think his show comes out Saturday the 19th. I actually believe that's true. Okay, so check out the next episode with Andy Reid, his new venture, now that this podcast is gone. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> that was... One of the like, were you ever on that show? Never got a chance. We so had much we were fun. we were lined up guests for their Halloween show, and oh, then nice. they broke it up yeah. before their Halloween show. I was like not just my band, but me personally. I was the most frequented guest on that show, which was pretty cool. Really, I was on it like three or four times. That's excellent, man. Yeah, that's badass. Great dudes, love them to death, both of them. So I'm gonna ask one final question before we get out of here because it's to the future of the network. This is a different shift. What do you think? Do you think podcasting is going to be something as a new outlet for you? Oh, yeah, creatively? definitely. Because, like, I never really had done it besides being on T-Pig a couple times. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah, and like I said, I feel you and Chris have a really great energy and synergy together when you're doing the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, that it comes out really nicely. It relates to the audience. You guys have a nice... You don't just stay focused on, like, one specific genre. You'll pull in, like, oh, we're talking about oh, yeah. this or we're talking about this today. Oh, yeah. And it, it keeps people into it because you never know what you guys are going to talk about. It's not just a metal show. It's not just True. a pop punk show. True. We do go off on all mm. kinds of different shit. It's cool. Well, I know that everybody here at the network is excited for you to join the party. We're excited for you to be here. You guys should check out Crucial Tunes next Friday right here on the Journey into Comics Network. Larry, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for man. having me. It was awesome. a lot of fun. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. This has been the first episode of Season 2 of the Voice Survival Podcast, and I... Have been your host, Nate. Stay tuned, because just in a couple seconds, we're going to play. What track do you want them to hear? Oh, let's see. Uh, 31107. It's oh. the first song on I Ruin Everything. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to listen to 31107, folks, and we'll see you guys later. Later.